I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host otherwise known as the Brain Broad. This is the show where we boldly go where no woman or man has gone before into the world of autism and find some freaking answers. No, I'm just kidding. Other people have gone there. But anyway, um, today's going to be a wonderful show. We have someone pretty special with us today, a celebrity of sorts in the world of autism, Ms. Temple Grandin, will be joining us shortly. She's on the run, actually, going from conference to conference from a conference in Winterpeg, Winnipeg, Canada, um, and then to a bunch of other places just around the corner. Like, for example, she'll be in Buffalo November 8th and in Los Angeles November 15th. If you are anywhere in those cities in that time frame, please, please, please check her out. She's Awesome, as you will soon discover. Um, not only full of information, but it gives people a sense of what's possible to talk to Dr. Temple Grandin and find out that you can become anything as long as you work at it. And I think that there's probably no one that examples that better than Dr. Grandin. So I'm real thrilled to get to that. We'll get to it immediately, but let me remind you that right after Temple, we will have, okay, 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 the great guest giveaway. And today's great guest giveaway is along the theme of, oh, dating, I think. I guess you'll have to wait and see. And uh, at the very end of the show, of course, stories from the road. I'm actually trying new voices up for that. Hopefully that one's better than the old one. The old one used to always sort of cut the sound out. So we'll see how it goes. Oh, we are so lucky to have Temple Grandin with us today. I'm so, so, so thrilled we were able to make our schedules mesh. She's a very, very, very busy woman. So Temple, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Well, it's great to be here. Well, and greatest for us, I'm sure. You're quite the famous personality. How did you feel about having them create a movie around your life? Well, it was sort of like going in the 60s and the 70s time machine. I mean, Claire Danes basically became me. She did a great job. I loved the way it showed how my visual thinking mind worked, and it showed all the projects that I had built. That's neat. Well, maybe someday I'll get so lucky that they'll make a movie about me and someone as great as Claire Danes will do it. So, um, all right, so I, just before we started recording, I asked you if there was anything that you personally wanted to talk about, and I loved what you said. So let's just jump right in there. I uh, understand uh, that you have a lot of parents, and one of the right. most important things, if you have a two-year-old to four-year-old child, a very young child that's not talking, you've got to start working with them right now. You can get services, great, but do not wait a year. You must start working with them now. And it's very important. Do a lot of turn-taking games. These kids need to learn how to take turns. You can do it with a board game. You can do it with an electronic game. But they have got to learn how to take turns. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. You may hear some announcements because I am at the airport. Um, but they have got to learn how to take turns, and then you start teaching them words, sing nursery rhymes with them, work on engaging them socially, you know, and all the research goes that these little kids need at least 20 hours a week of one-to-one teaching with, um, <coughs> with an effective teacher that's going to get these kids talking. And We've you know what I like about it is you're describing parenting and play. Well, you've got to work with these kids. I mean, the worst thing you could do with a two-year-old or a four-year-old that is not talking is just let them sit in the corner stimming or, worse yet, playing with an electronic device all by himself. That is just the worst. These kids need to be engaged with people. I can't emphasize that enough. And I hope that you've been able to hear all the airport announcements. I'm real sorry about that. But yeah, it's fine. Actually, it makes it exciting, Temple. It makes it sound like we're part of your life and we're traveling with you. And I agree. Yeah, I think you have to play with them and get them really, really challenged you and stimulated. You've got to work with these little kids. I mean, you absolutely must not wait. I mean, if you can get professional services right away, great. But if you're not able to get them, then you need to just do a lot of turn-taking games, a lot of social interaction, singing songs, teaching words. You've got to work with these little kids. And I... and you should not let little kids just play all in solitary with electronic devices. If there's an electronic device being used, it has to be part of a game interactive with a grown-up. You've got to get these kids interacting. You can't just let these little ones just go off in their own world. Now, another thing is you do have to be careful about sensory issues. There's some kids that can't tolerate a noisy supermarket or a noisy train station, and there's others that tolerate those things just fine. And if you have a child with a lot of sensory issues, you sometimes have to be careful not to overstimulate. All right. So did do you remember that? Yep. I can remember the frustration of not knowing how to talk. I can remember how loud sounds hurt my ears. I can remember when the school bell went off, it hurt my ears. When we went on a ferry boat and they blew the horn, it hurt my ears. I remember that stuff really well. Was it a sharp pain or like a headache? Well, it was more like a sharp pain and a really big startle. It also set off a fear response. Now, sometimes you can desensitize a child to a noise he doesn't like by letting him control it. Let him turn on the noise or let him determine how long he's going to stay at the supermarket. And when he's had enough, let him leave. You know, where they control the amount of contact with this, you know, noxious stimulation, you can sometimes desensitize it that way. Yeah, I agree, 100%. And did that is that part of why you're comfortable in the airports and stuff now? Well, I've been on antidepressant medication for years, and that's really helped. That stopped the total, absolute panic attacks. And in my book, Thinking in Pictures, I describe my experiences with panic attacks and anxiety in a chapter called A Believer in Biochemistry. And um, the right medication can sometimes really make a difference, and that is discussed in my book, Thinking in Pictures. So, Temple, did you feel the difference right away when you went on antidepressants? And I'll tell you why yes, I asked. I because, so what would you say to somebody who is perhaps a parent who's been told to give a child a medicine and then not seeing a benefit? Well, if you don't see a benefit, then you should not be taking it. Basically, I mean, I took this medication as an adult. I want to make it very clear. Way too many powerful medications are given to very young children. I'm against that. But there's a number of kids, older children, 10 or 12 years old, teenagers and adults, 
where a little bit of the right medication can really, really make a difference. You know, a very, very good dose of antidepressants really helped me on my constant panic attacks and anxiety. So I hope they can hear all the airport announcements. It'll be fine. Um, I do love that you said, um, you know, if you're not seeing a benefit, you shouldn't take it. Because I think I've seen a lot of families that they're afraid not to give something once it's been prescribed, even when they don't see a, a benefit. And well, you if it doesn't you work, it right you away. shouldn't be taking it. It's that simple. You know, you use a medication, especially for a behavior. It should have an obvious dramatic effect on the behavior. Now, obviously, if a medication is being given for epilepsy or something like that, you have to take that. You better work with the doctor on that. But if you're using a medication just for behavior, it should have an obvious beneficial effect. It should have wow, like, wow, this really works. And if you don't have some wow, then you probably should not be taking it. Thank you. So what's the best thing about your life now with all that you've gone through and all of the things that you've accomplished, degrees and movies and interviews and books? What's the best thing about your life? Well, one of the best things is, uh, you know, let me wait to announce. Okay. Okay, one of the things is when a parent writes to me or a parent uh, calls me up or someone stops me and says, well, I was really helped by your book. Or um, I had a mom just write to me and they had a kid with very, very difficult behavior problems and I helped with that and I got an email back saying that their boy was improved. That makes me really happy that some of the advice they her actually worked. Yeah, that's neat. That's a good feeling, that's for sure. And what about yeah. people in your life? Do you, um, do you feel like you have lots of close friends now or do you stay pretty aloof? No, I've got friends. Most of my friends are in livestock or they are in, you know, autism or they're in the meat industry, you know, but I definitely have friends who shared interests. And another problem you have in autism is it's such a big spectrum. At one end of the spectrum, you've got Einstein, people that work at Silicon Valley, and another end of the spectrum, you've got um, uh, people that are very handicapped or remain nonverbal. You know, this word autism covers a huge spectrum. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, I, in fact, adopted a bunch of kids, and I have one that still really struggles to talk, and he's an adult, and the other ones are independent. So you never, you yeah. know, it's huge. It's huge. Um, the reason I asked you about friends is, I, and I loved that you said shared interests, because I think so often people try to get their uh, spectrum kids to make friends where there isn't a shared interest. So can you talk to that Well, it's not going to work. I'm a big right. believer in the shared interest. And the places where I had friends in high school where I was teased horribly, and the only place I was not bullied and teased, horseback riding, electronics, and model rocket club. Because the other students that were interested in those things did not do the teasing. We need to be getting kids into things like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, you know, robotics clubs, uh, band, music, the school play, art clubs, things like this where they have a shared interest. I agree. I agree. And if um, you have a conference coming up, did you want to talk about that so that people well, I just can did remember a conference. Um, I just did a conference in, in Winnipeg just today. Oh, that's my hometown. That's where I grew up. That's your was hometown. It freezing? Okay, well, great. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't quite Winterpeg yet. <laughs> That's what I call it in the middle of the winter. 
Yeah, don't you have one coming in in Los Angeles fairly soon? Or yeah, you know, I've got like, a lot of conferences coming up, and I basically cover a lot of the same things: early intervention, which we already talked about. I talk about the sensory issues because you can also get problems with visual sensitivity problems. Some kids absolutely cannot stand fluorescent lights. You've got to get them away from that. I talk about different kinds of thinking, like the movies show how I'm a visual thinker. Then there's other kids that are more of a mathematical thinker, and then there's some that are word thinker. You know, and of course, this is mainly on the higher end of the spectrum. And you want to be working on building up the area of strength. My ability in art was always encouraged. You got a little um, eight-year-old that's really good at math, well, then let's build them up on the math then. Because these are things that can turn into skills you can use on a job. Right, right, absolutely. What about if their sensory thing has to do, for example, I worked with a little boy this weekend, actually a 15-year-old, and for him it was about skin. He wanted everything to be touched and smelled and touched and smelled and touched and smelled. And because of his age, everyone was pushing him away and making, isolating him no, because they didn't child, want him. Uh, verbal, nonverbal? I mean, what, where was he, he was, on the spectrum? He was, he was verbal. He was quite high-functioning, but he couldn't stop or feed this desire to be touched. And it kept making me think about your squeeze machine, and I suggested heavy blankets and things. Um, how well, did, you, that's did, helpful. Did, did you have a skin sometimes feeling? Or? No, I just, I mean, I craved the deep pressure because it helped to calm me down. You know, it was something that calmed me down. The deep pressure was very, very calming. So it is a bit of a problem, though, if you have a, if you have this this body issue and you're 15 and you're a boy and you're living, trying to live amongst everyone. Have you seen that or spoken to that? Uh, well, what kind of an issue does he have? Right he wants to touch everyone and get up close and hug all the time, and because of his well, age, everyone. What he has to learn is that there's only certain people he can do that with, like his mom and dad and certain close friends. He can do it, and that that he just has to learn that. Right, right. So it's not stop him, it's help him to do it in an appropriate way, right? Well, that's right, and with the appropriate people. You know, there's right. some good books out that show things like circles of acquaintances, and you've got, like, parents where you're the most uh, uh, close to, and then you have, you know, good friends, and then you have, you know, friends at school and work, then you have casual acquaintances like maybe a mailman or something like that, or Federal Express man. You know him, but you wouldn't, he would just casual acquaintance. Yes, exactly. And with him, you would shake his hand, and with some, you know, with your mom, you can give her a hug, and, with, and all of that, absolutely. Rather than turn, throw your hands up in yeah. the air and call it something awful, right? Yeah. But he just has to learn that there's only certain people that he can hug, like his mom, his dad, and certain very close friends. It's interesting because uh, the myth of autism is that people don't want to be touched. And, again, it's a spectrum. It, it's about a difference in touch, right? Well, and they're not wanting to be touched. That's actually the easiest one of the easiest sensory problems to desensitize. Just remember, firm pressure is calming. Tickle touches are an alarming, alerting response. So you do firm pressure with things like mats or cushions, and then gradually then get to tolerate being hugged. That's actually pretty easy to desensitize. Good afternoon, Very good. And is there anything else that just pops into your mind that you would really love to share that maybe you haven't had a chance to talk to people about? You know, very soon they're going to start boarding my flight. Well, that's all right. That's all right. We can we can close it up any minute. But I just wanted to give you yeah, an opportunity. Yeah, we don't have to close to... it up quite yet. She has the people are still getting off the plane. 
Oh, good. We don't have to close it up right this second. Oh, good. So I'm sorry to have to be doing this while I'm at the airport, but otherwise I'd have a hard time just uh, getting time to do it. Well, I, I just appreciate that you took the time, not, not to worry. I, I was just wondering if there's something that you always wish you get an opportunity to talk about and don't get to talk about. But one of my big concerns is, is learning job skills. Autism is a very big spectrum, and at one end of the spectrum, you've got someone who could work at Silicon Valley, work as a, you know, a skilled trade, welding or woodworking, and then at the other end of the um, spectrum, you've got somebody who's definitely not going to be doing those things. And I'm seeing too many situations where you have, I'm seeing guys and girls that are perfectly capable of high-level work, and they've never learned any work skills. And that needs to start at around age 12. And if there's a paper route around that we can put the kid on, he needs to be doing it. Or maybe he can, um, you know, work at the local church or mosque or whatever and help set up chairs for an event, you know, serve food. or, You know, they've got to get the discipline of having a job. That is just essential. And then when they get later on in high school, they need to start, you know, doing a job. You know, maybe work at McDonald's or something. They've got to learn how to work. Because what makes me really upset is when I go out into the cattle world, I am seeing people working in meat plants and working in places like this that I know are on the spectrum, undiagnosed, on the high end of the spectrum, in good jobs, like running the maintenance shop, running the entire crew of workers in a plant, uh, uh, making a steel equipment for the cattle industry. You know, really good jobs. And these people are on the spectrum, but they're undiagnosed. Yes. You know, but I'm seeing too many kids today getting kind of coddled. They haven't been taught to shake hands. They don't have table manners. They don't know how to wait in line. They don't know how to shop. These are basic skills that need to be taught. You see, and the big problem we have with the autism spectrum is it's such a broad spectrum. I can say autism, and that goes all the way from somebody who's nonverbal, very, very handicapped, to somebody that ought to be um, programming computers for Silicon Valley or for Microsoft or for working for one of the, you know, Google or something like that. You know, where if I say other things like ADHD or dyslexia, well, dyslexics can't read and ADHDs have attention problems, but both of those kids are fully verbal. It's a much, dyslexia and ADHD, for example, describes a much broader, a much more narrow range. You know, but I'm seeing too many kids, especially on the mild end, uh, sort of getting a handicap mentality. They go, oh, poor little Tommy has the Asperger's, so um, he will buy his hamburger for him. And I'm going, no, he needs to go up to the counter and get it himself. I agree, and there's a big problem. Society is really fighting for all these programs to make exceptions, and recently Disney got... Did you hear all about the Disney I heard about that. That was just disgusting, and people were were gaming that system and and cutting in lines, and that's something that's made for the really handicapped kids, really near like kids in wheelchairs. And it made me sick when I read that thing about Disney where they had to stop that policy because so many people were cheating on that. It was just disgusting. Yeah, it's really terrible, but in some ways I also feel like, um, you know, part of our population and our parents are, are saying we need these, we need these, you know, special opportunities well, we have for our to, kids. Well, I think they I'm need to learn how to line up. Yep, I think they do need to learn to line up, and you've got some kids with horrendous sensory problems, and that's where sometimes you need a little tiny bit of medication, a really, really bad sound sensitivity problem sometimes a tiny, microscopically small dose of Respiridol, and I mean micro-dose, tiny, tiny dose, like a quarter of a milligram a day, can help on the sound sensitivity. Because there's some individuals that can't tolerate noisy restaurants or sports stadiums. Uh, but then I'm seeing other kids 
that, I mean, the kids graduated from college, and he's never had a job of any kind, either volunteer or not. And, and they don't know how to work. Well, by the time I got out of college, I had a ton of work skills. My mother set up a little sewing job for me with a seamstress. I cleaned horse stalls. I did carpentry work. I worked in a research lab that was an unpaid internship. I had a ton of work skills by the time I got out of college. Exactly. And your mom expected you to learn those things rather than oh, telling yeah. everyone. She had you a couldn't. real good sense of how hard to push it. She set it up for me to go to the ranch. And at first I didn't want to go and she gave me a choice. One week or all summer. Not going, that was not gonna be an option. I love that choice. <laughs> that's wonderful. In fact, that's a great thing for parents to hear. When you say, you know, how am I going to make him do it, right? Is well, you see, the, this is especially on the fully verbal kid that's got normal speech. You know, then you've got the kid who's got very, very bad involvement, may have epilepsy, may have extreme sound sensitivity. Well, it wouldn't be reasonable to make him do some of these things. You know, this is where, right. see, the right. problem is, is, is the label describes such a broad spectrum. Right. That's the problem. It is a big problem because if you make one statement, they try to apply it to the wrong group on the spectrum, right? Well, it doesn't work. And the thing is, is when I go to my other, um, my other work with the cattle industry, I'm seeing these people all over everywhere. Some of them came straight out of the trailer park and they took, um, a, a job. They got, um, a skilled trades classes in welding, automobile shop. I'm not saying this is for everybody. You know, some kids, you know, computer science in college is where they need to go. There's others where automobile shop is where they need to go. And uh, there's a shortage right now. Diesel mechanics, auto mechanics, certified welding for the oil industry, uh, electricians, plumbers, and people to fix the electric wires. Uh, yep. And these are highly skilled trades. I'm not talking about putting up plasterboard and laying floor tile. I'm talking about the really, really skilled stuff. Yeah, and, and as you said, a lot of the time they're undiagnosed and they're working, and maybe that was a good thing for them because then they just were expected to work. What I'm seeing with a real mild kids is, is a diagnosis sometimes holding them back on the job front. Where a diagnosis can be really helpful, and I talk about this in my book, Different Not Less, where 14 people on the spectrum who got diagnosed later in life um, tell their stories in their own words. And a diagnosis later in life can really help with their relationship problems. That's where it helps. But on the work stuff, I'm almost seeing it holding them back because the kids aren't learning enough basic skills. Now, in what way do you see it as helping them in relationship issues? Well, understanding that they don't know. I didn't even know that people had little secret eye signals. There's a whole lot of little instinctual things people do that I know about and talk about about in that book. That's helpful. Right. See, that's right. where the diagnosis right. is helpful on some of the social stuff. It's not, right. I, but on the work stuff, I'm seeing too many kids way milder than me to get into college and have one, learned one work skill. And we need to start working on this at age 12, uh, paper routes, uh, walking dogs for the neighbors, mowing lawns, shoveling snow, cleaning swimming pools, uh, running a website for a community group, you know, things like this, working in the farmer's market. Pretty much anything that fits your lifestyle that'll that'll be possible for you. You know, there's um, some great groups now that actually facilitate kids selling. Um, you know, if they if they make something at home, they can sell it off of a website for 
kids well, on the spectrum. Good. We need to be doing more of that sort of stuff, you know, kind of build up that entrepreneur because that's how I started my business. I started out one little job at a time. That's how I started. And they are going to board my, my okay. flight. I'm going to have to go. Well, we appreciate you so much. Thank you. And is there one last word you well, want to thanks. share or are you done? Well, I think I'm going to have to get on my plane, but thank you okay. for having me. And, and I want to see these kids that are kind of quirky and different that succeed. That's what I want them to do. That's what I want, too. All right. Thank you. Don't miss your plane. Okay. We appreciate you. you. Okay. Bye-bye. Wow, that was Temple Grandin. Are we lucky or what? Imagine that. She just stopped for a few minutes before getting on her plane to give us a hello. Um, we are blessed. What a great day. Uh, all right. Uh, you are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. Coming up around the corner, we have OK, OK, the great guest giveaway. And at the very end of that, stories from the road. So hang in there all the way to the end so we can make this whole thing make sense. Okay, okay, okay. It's time for the great guest giveaway. And today's great guest is going to give away something really, really, really special. His time. Only a little bit of it. you got to buy something first. Check it out. Jeremy Hamburg is a dating coach for neurodiverse singles. Okay, I'm already interested, in fact, um, thrilled to talk to him. Uh, he's been a dating program coordinator for the Adaptions Program at Silver Center for Special Needs since 2011. Now, in the next few months, Jeremy is going to be launching HitchcraftDating.com, which is a site for free and premium dating advice for people with developmental disabilities. If ever there was something that was needed, it is this. So it's very thrilling. But before I talk to him, I have to say... Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Jeremy, happy birthday to you. How cool that you just had a birthday. Thank you, and you have a wonderful voice. Oh, it's Skype, you know, all that filtering over the universe. Um, I said that, people, because I am Skyping from Kuwait. Check it out. I figured that, um, oh, look, I just talked to Temple Grandin. She was at the airport. She's on the road. We'll do a whole show from the road. I'm on my way to Kuwait. So I get to Kuwait, and I'm, I'm imagining, you know, there'll be a bazaar and all this noise and all these people will be hot and it'll be dirty and it'll be crazy. And really, I'm in a very nice hotel. It's quiet. The streets are clean. It's the most beautiful city ever. And there's nobody to interview other than the family I'm working with, and they're too busy. So I was thrilled to discover Jeremy. So thank you so much for being a part of the show, Jeremy. My pleasure, and it's the first time I've ever spoken with someone in Kuwait, so that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of cool. You know, my son was here. He used to be autistic and uh, came off the spectrum and joined the National Guard and did a tour of duty here as a helicopter mechanic, so it's kind of Amazing. neat to be here. Amazing. It is, isn't it? And what you're doing is amazing. So what in heaven's name got you into this? I was actually a, a neurotypical uh, dating coach. I, I didn't know very much about uh, the world of autism or developmental disabilities uh, at all. Um, I uh, started a young professionals organization in my area on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And uh, the nature of young professional organizations is that they tend to draw a lot of singles 
Um, and I was watching as all these single people would come to uh, our events and would strike out. And so I thought maybe there's something that I can do to um, help people who are educated and have wonderful resumes um, but aren't very good with dating. So I, I went to my local Barnes & Noble and I started perusing all the dating books and, and they were they were pretty much awful. I thought, you know, all I saw was um, one book after another that if you copy me and do what I do, you'll do great. And I thought, you know, the people that I spend time with are, are they're really intelligent. I think that they would like to know why advice works and not just what advice works. So I spent about two and a half years um, learning about the science of attraction. And then I approached uh, the Jewish Community Center in Manhattan. Um, and I said I wanted to do a workshop. And, and they said, uh, you know, be our guest. And what I very quickly found was that, um, you know, I thought it was going to be populated by neurotypical people. And there were some. But there were definitely a lot of people on the spectrum who came, uh, a lot of people from the adaptations program who came. Um, and so ultimately, adaptations invited me, um, invited me in, and uh, I've been there ever since. Wow, that's really neat. So a bunch of questions come to mind and comments as well. One of the things I immediately thought of is, you know, if you're researching dating and all you hear is copy me and you'll be successful, it's like a recipe for inauthenticity. And even if it works, you'll end up with someone who wishes they had met the author of that book. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? True. Like, yeah, it's like I'm I'm pretending to be this dude, so now I'm attracting all the people that would have liked him. So, thank goodness <laughs> you decided to take it a little deeper. Um, and so you get there and you start working with adaptations and and helping with dating. How how did that unfold? Like, was that difficult? It was actually really difficult for me. Um, I am a lawyer during the day, and so I'm used to talking to, um, to jurors, and I know when I'm being engaging because they're looking at me and they're nodding their head, um, and they're giving me very open body language, but when I got to adaptations, I had a very difficult time trying to figure out whether the people in the dating group were appreciating what I had to say, or sometimes I didn't even know if they were listening um, because I had no experience whatsoever um, with neurodiverse people and how they concentrate. Um, so I had to recalibrate in my own head what it meant for someone to be engaged and for someone to be enjoying what I had to say. Um, and I still sometimes struggle with it. Um, I had uh, a person in the in the group not too long ago who um, broke out a comic book, um, and I didn't realize that that was his way of calming himself down when he was getting too much information. Um, so it's certainly been a learning process for me. Um, but the wonderful thing about being neurotypical in adaptations is that we learn from each other. I learn a ton of what it's like to have autism and various other um, neurodiverse diagnoses, and, and they learn dating skills from me. That's really cool. Are you good at dating? I got married in August, so I'd like to think I'm pretty good at it. 
and you had to be really careful how you answered that. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I, I had to ask. So on the, um, you know, you're describing how it's, it was a bit of a struggle and is a bit of a struggle trying to figure out if they're paying attention or not and, and understanding the sort of the body signaling that, um, say, autistic adults might give you. I suppose then educating them on how to make it more obvious when they're interested um, becomes a part of that. Like if you're struggling, so is anyone they're trying to attract. Yes, that's absolutely right. And and so what we've been doing this past semester um, is a lot of conversational skill building. Um, we uh, generally spend 30 minutes during every uh, workshop um, breaking up into small groups, usually of just two or three people, and practicing conversational skills, um, which include things like making eye contact and, and nodding and keeping open body language. Um, that way, besides answering dating questions, there, our, our group is also building good social skills. What about keeping the motivator alive? Like from my my own experience, I know that um, one of my sons who was very low functioning, I really couldn't get him to do the niceties of meet and greet until he fell in love. And now, you know, he's much more willing to come and attend to somebody when they arrive. He's still not great, trust me. Uh, but... Um, he really needed the actual motivator. So I know everyone's trying to get ready to date, but are they actually dating and then discussing the date with you, or how does that unfold? We do uh, have a wide range of people in that group. We have some people who are just starting to think about dating, and we actually have a couple people who come to the group who are not even that interested in dating at all and, um, and are just there to, to sort of learn. But we also have people who uh, very actively date um, in the group, and, and they're very open and honest with their experiences, and very often they'll come to the group after, uh, after a date, and we will, um, you know, we'll review how the date went and, and, and what could have been done better. Um, but as far as motivating people, I'm very lucky that the people who come to the dating group are already motivated to learn. Um, I think right. that uh, if they weren't motivated, they wouldn't be there in, in the first place. Some of them slept uh, fairly fairly far to uh, to come to the group. That's a good point. That I, I mean, I just think it's awesome. So, what is going to be better about what you're launching with Hitchcraft Dating uh, than what exists already? Well, then, what you're already doing is it because you'll have you know the ability to reach a wider uh, number of people because it's on the internet or absolutely absolutely and I want people to be able to learn in small chunks and at their own speed so what uh, I'm working on literally right this moment is editing um, what I call the free step-by-step -step guide to dating smarter and finding love faster and what that is um, is you go on to hitchcraftdating.com and you put in your name and your email address and then twice a week um, you get an email with a very specific topic about dating, a very specific skill, and it really goes from A to Z. It, we start, you know, in week one with thinking about what you want in a potential partner 
and getting ready to date and, and getting your you know, calendar in order so that you can make time not only for dating but for dating skills. And then we go through the different uh, strategies for dating, including online dating and matchmakers. And then we go through uh, body language. Uh, and then we go through how to ask for a date and what to do on a date. Um, and so it's about 40 you know, emails over the course of a bunch of weeks but it's absolutely free and there's nothing, you know, nothing to buy. There's no pressure to purchase anything. And, um, you know, it, al- it allows our readers to digest little bits of dating skills um, every few days um, and then review it as they want to. Now, have you run across anybody that, like, I'm thinking of, uh, well, actually a personal story, but also some uh, some people that I've worked with where they're so face-blind that um, they might be very attracted to somebody, and, but it's about the whole package, the clothes they were wearing, the smells they had, the energy they had that time, the way their hair was, like the whole package. And then the next, they set up a date, and they actually can't pick them out where they agreed to meet them. Um, and I also, you know, a lot of the people that just can't seem to retain names easily. Do, have you ever had to deal with tricks and ways to help them with that sort of thing? So yes and no. I I actually met my uh, first face blind uh, person uh, a week or two ago on Facebook. I I knew from psychology in in college that face blindness existed, but I I'd never really met anyone who had it. And I've never dealt with it. But I do have clients who have uh, different disabilities, and it makes it very difficult for them to. Uh, arrange meetings and, and find people in, in, in meeting places because of their anxiety um, and other reasons. And so we actually have developed a way um, to solve that problem, which is really by being very specific about where in a location you're going to meet. And uh, I would even encourage people to use uh, Google Maps, um, the street view function. If you know where you're going to be uh, meeting a person, you can use the street view function on Google Maps to pinpoint a very exact location, um, maybe the, um, the, the bus stop um, outside, you know, outside the, uh, the restaurant. Very um, cool. And, uh, uh, and also being very specific about what you're wearing. Um, and sometimes it even helps to write it down. So for with one, one person I was uh, working with, I was working with him at Lincoln Center, and I said, I will be sitting in this chair in this cafe at this location, and I will be wearing a suit with no tie, and my shirt will be blue. And um, we had no problem the second time around. Yeah, that's gorgeous. And I think it's okay for them to say to somebody, look, I'm re- I really like you. I'm interested in you. I have face blindness. I won't forget you, but if you show up in the wrong spot at the wrong time, I- it might take me a few minutes of hearing your voice and different things, so please understand. I mean, I think people just have to get comfortable with their problems and be willing to explain them to or at least own them with anybody that they plan on dating, don't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And for most people, they don't know anyone who's had that type of, uh, of diagnosis. So it's actually can be quite fascinating. It can be a really yeah, very topic. and and great conversation actually. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, I have one last question, and and you know, and then we'll talk a little bit about your uh, your buy one session, get one free. Um, so, what about inappropriate sensory seeking? So. 
you know, sometimes with autism, people want a lot of pressure or a lot of light touch or a lot of, and they can be quite um, needy of either don't touch me or touch me or, you know, just sort of an inappropriateness for how close to stand, how far away to go. Have you come up against that and how have you dealt with it? Yeah, I have um, a person that I work with who doesn't like being hugged. Um, having arms around his neck uh, is perhaps the most sensory, uncomfortable experience that he can have. And so what we do is we talk about ways to communicate to the other person that there are places that I can be touched and ways I can be touched and also ways that I can't be. Um, and it really just comes down to, to communication. Um, there's nothing wrong with explaining to a potential partner that these are things that, that you can accept and, and, and there are certain things that you can't. Um, because at the end of the day, the, your potential partner is going to find out what you, you know, what drives you nuts. And if they don't have an explanation for why that is, they're not going to stick around. Um, right. So, they'll feel rejected, under- right? I mean, you know, my son, he doesn't like to have you hug around his chest. And his fiance, it, it took her a while to realize, um, since he was so nervous around her, this made his chest more sensitive. And when she would be embracing him, he'd have to like, you know, break the hold and run away. And it was really quite interesting to watch them try to figure it out. But without an explanation of what was happening, she would have just felt rejected and left. And that would have been the end of the relationship. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Yeah, so it can be a really important thing to just share, share, share what's up for you. Um, in our case, my son has difficulty being understood. He's verbal, but he's hard to understand. He can type, but you have to be there to help him. And so I also encourage family to help, you know, and, and speak up and say, hey, this is what's going on for him. Um, so tell us about your uh, buy one, get one free offer. So I... Um I found that uh, there were a lot of people that I work with uh, who at the end of the workshops would come up to me and would want more personalized assistance. And uh, it, uh, it's really been working for, for many of my clients. Um, but I've also found that it's really difficult to get to know someone in one session. Um, and, uh, and so what I have started doing is I offer people a free session when they buy one. Uh, that way, the first session, we get to know each other. We get to verbalize what, uh, what your dating problems are and what your dating goals are. And we also get to feel each other out. We get to, we get to feel how comfortable we are with one another and, and try to get into a rhythm. That way, for the, uh, for the second session, which is, you know, which is free, um, we can really get to work on, uh, on tackling at least one of the problems that has come up. So, yeah, it, you know, I, uh, I, for people who are in New York, um, it's very easy to schedule. You just uh, send me an email, and, uh, and uh, I do my sessions uh, here on the Upper West Side. And for people who are all across the world, I do my sessions uh, via Skype and have had uh, pretty good success doing that, although I, I find that I, I look much better in person than I do uh, on, on the uh, Skype camera. Yeah, well, <laughs> we all feel that way. <laughs> it's just neater to, you know, have a real vibe and shake hands and what, you know, I mean, it's just different. But, you know, we do what we can. Technology has made it 
awesome, really, to be able to reach out like this. We wouldn't be talking if it wasn't for Skype. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, that's awesome. How would they go about getting that? Like, where where would I send them, or do you want them to email me for that? Um, you can send them to hitchcraftdating.com. There's a link for private coaching, and uh, if you want private coaching, just uh, buy a single session. And when I uh, get the notification that it came through, I'll send you an email, and all you have to do is say that you heard about this um, on your podcast, uh, and I will automatically give you that second session absolutely free. No need to say anything else. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I think this is a really important thing. I think it's very necessary. I'm totally thrilled. And I hope that people take advantage and, and grab the free extra time. But I also really just hope that this turns into something that other people copy and do um, around the world because there's just not enough respect given to the issue of trying to connect romantically in the world of special needs. So thank you for bringing it into uh, sort of an arena, an arena of respect. I, I really appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm so fascinated by how the world is really just starting to wake up to the fact that people with uh, developmental disabilities are, are interested and capable of having relationships. I think we're just at the very, very beginning of a, of a revolution in understanding how people with disabilities um, connect with one another and connect with neurotypicals. And so I'm really happy to be here right at the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah. And they're people too. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for all you do. Thank you, you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, continue being fantastic. And I'll sing you out. Off you go. Happy birthday to <laughs> Jeremy. No, no, no. <laughs> Once is enough. Okay, thank you so Bye. much. Bye. And that was Jeremy Hamburg having a birthday and also helping people celebrate. How perfect is that? Celebrate the life of being single and trying to become less so. Um, I really, 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 I know I've brought this up before, the, you know, the whole need for relationship and dating and sex and, because there's way too much... Uh, way too much assumption out there that just because you have a cognitive challenge or a learning disability or anything, even a physical one, that you're somehow then not wishing to get up close and personal with someone and, and create real relationships, especially in autism where everyone feel, you know, has this mythical idea about when you're autistic, you just want to be alone and you don't like people. Um, I think you don't like judgmental people. I think you don't always like to, you know, do it somebody else's way, but everybody wants a little people in their life at some level. So um, it's an important show, and I brought up twice. I brought up with Temple the question of, you know, what do you do when someone is sensory-seeking? And I brought it up again with Jeremy, and I brought it up because in stories from the road, I want to tell you a story. It's a, a recent client, and um, you know it's really interesting how in the world everybody's pretty quick to talk about 
the inappropriateness of uh, disabled people, you know, people that that uh, have issues like autism or Down syndrome or a variety of cognitive issues where they are not always aware of when it is or isn't appropriate to show a body part like at the pool when you just take your pants off and decide to get changed or, you know, or when puberty hits and everything feels good and you just want to touch it and, and enjoy it and, oh, who cares if someone's looking? Um, I, I posted this on Facebook recently, this story about uh, my son who, when puberty hit him, I have lots of sons, so you never know which one I'm talking about. But anyway, <laughs> when puberty hit him, he was at school, you know, having all these erections, so he learned to masturbate and he was taking care of it in privacy in a bathroom where it was a single bathroom. It's not like it was, you know, a group of stalls or anything. And the person working with him whipped the door open just as he was ejaculating. And his surprise, he turned to face her and ejaculated all over her. And she was, you know, completely beside herself with anger and calling him names like dirty boy. Personally, I just think it was really funny and it served her right for whipping the door open. But the point is, she never stopped to think about him as a human being or a man that just really was trying to take care of a need in a private way. Instead, she responded with so much anger and so much astonishment and so many negative phrases thrown at him. And she called the police and she called me and it was just ridiculous. He had one of two ways to go from a, from a situation like that. He could either now start feeling dirty and hide away, which isn't good, or he could decide to not care at all and start being very obvious about it, and that'll show her. I was lucky he decided to hide away. Thank goodness. <laughs> but it could have gone the other way and often does. And I'm often called in to help in situations where puberty, in fact, I just got an email where the child's going through puberty and issues are showing up. So it's a pretty common thing to have to deal with. And the story I want to tell you about, um, I'm going to hit quickly, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's a sensitive thing. I mean, here's this boy. He's 15. He's beautiful. Just a gorgeous guy. Uh, tall, you know, could be a movie star, just just gorgeous, blonde, blue-eyed, handsome dude. And he is, I meet him, and within five minutes of meeting him, he's wanting to, you know, pull my hair down over my eyes and get me to look a certain way that's kind of sexy, and he keeps trying to stroke my arm and stuff. Now, remember, folks, I'm moving on to 60, so it's not like I'm a hot dish anymore. He just likes all this feeling. He likes the feeling of the way the hair is. He likes the feeling of the way the skin is. He likes the way it looks when your hair is brushing over your face, almost like you're, it's kind of sexy, really. Um, and so he's in this bind because, sadly, the reason he's like this is because he's been molested. He was molested by a close relative, a female, and there's been all kinds of help brought to his door to try to help him get over that. And so I show up, and here I am all accepting and non-judgmental, and within, within seconds, 
of meeting me. He's telling me about this person and what happened and that, you know, he's unhappy and it was hard. And meanwhile, he's touching me everywhere. So I'm bringing this up because it's really, it's really a problem when we push stuff away and refuse to deal with it. It's a problem when we refuse to deal with puberty and, and special needs. It's a problem when we refuse to deal with, um, you know, sexual abuse and, and, and not special needs or special needs. And it's a problem when you deal with it by saying, just keep your distance, just do this. You know, it, you can't educate away a sensory need. And you can't educate away a, a situation of abuse. You have to evolve it with the person. You have to help them to become comfortable with who they are and change and adapt. You can't take something away if you don't put something in its place. So, you know, we talked about different things like, you know, getting heavier blankets and getting him a, you know, a comfortable place to talk about what happened without anyone judging it or telling him how it's bad or it's not bad, but just to unfold the story and then help him to shift his attentions from older women to people his age and maybe role play dating and different things like that. And it's a new client. It, it's working well. We'll see how it goes. But I do know that if everybody keeps telling him what's wrong with him and nobody takes him for a walk along the beach and says, that girl's your age, you want to try talking to her and see how it goes and then gives him the tips and helps him analyze it afterwards, he's never going to move from this one place where that sensory seeking need was satisfied and it was inappropriate. I keep coming across cases where people are teaching distance, teaching keep your distance, and not teaching how do I engage. And the problem with that is when a person is forced to behave according to script and according to boundaries and rules, the second the rules are off, they go back to what they really want to be doing. So the second this boy met someone who was accepting and not judging his behavior, he went back to what he wanted to be doing. He started trying to touch. So that is not the way to teach. If you want to teach someone, you actually inform them. You don't just stop them. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the brain broad, so I must be right. No, seriously. Thank you for being here, because without you, I would just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.